Amen. Let's give Michael and the band a hand for a great job. Great to have you back this week, Michael, with us. Grab him after church and tell him you'd like to see him in the fall every Sunday, right? Sorry, it's kind of a, kind of a cheap shot, but what is Wednesday? Fourth of July. Amen. Cindy and I's anniversary, too. Did you know that? Lost my independence on Independence Day, men. I was free, and then I was not free. But it, uh, more importantly, well, not more importantly to me, maybe, and my wife, but, you know, in, in the big picture of things, it's the 236th anniversary of our country. And, and folks, America, you know, we sing God Bless America. We sang it in the first service. Uh, God has shed His grace on us, on thee, that, that God has blessed our country. And the truth is, God has blessed America. He really has. He's, he's blessed our country in so many ways. And if you've ever traveled in, to other places, you see how fortunate we are to live in the country that we live in. But we are not the only country in the history of the world that has been greatly blessed by God. In fact, Israel certainly is a country that... Uh, had God's favor all over it. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10 today. We'll be back in Romans in a, in a week or two. But in, we've been in 1 Corinthians on Sunday nights. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 10 is a, uh, I won't say it's a great passage for, for our country, but it's a scary passage for our country and for any country. Uh, and what we're going to look at is we're going to look at some lessons that God uh, wanted to show a church 2,000 years ago that he wants to show us today. Verse 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles, if not, they'll be on the screens. And they begin, for I don't want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, what he's, what he's telling them, he's writing originally this church in Corinth, and in the church in Corinth, there would have been Jewish people who understood this Jewish history lesson, basically, he's given. There would have been people who were non-Jews, like you and me, who maybe needed a little more background. But he's talking about the rich heritage that the Jewish people had. When God delivered them from Egypt, they were slaves, and, and the millions of them he brought out of Egypt from the most powerful king and country in the world. And it says that they, ha they had the cloud that, that went in front of them, went above them. That was literally the Shekinah glory of God. That was the presence of God. This nation enjoyed a visible sign that God was with them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And then it says they were baptized into Moses and in the Red Sea. Many of you know this story, but they got to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are chasing them. And, and you know, either they're going to have to swim across or there's going to have to be a miracle or they're going to have a big graveyard right there of Jewish people. And God parts the Red Sea, and they all walk through it like it's dry ground, and then the Egyptians try, and it doesn't work out so well for them. And God says, man, you, you not only had my glory showing you the way, but you were baptized. You were initiated. You, you belonged to that group that passed through the Red Sea that, that were, were identified with Moses. And he talks about him, being, him feeding them. Listen, there's millions of people wandering in a desert for 40 years, and they never went hungry. 
By the way, no McDonald's, no Burger Kings, no Dowling's Barbecue, no Pizza Inn, none of that. And God still fed them. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And it says that God provided water for them. On two different occasions, uh, water came from a rock. Now, folks, that's strange, isn't it? Go out in your yard today and pick up a rock and you know, do whatever you need to do to get water to come from it, and it's not going to happen. I'm going to bet it won't happen. Two different occasions it did. Now, this is interesting. The Jewish people actually had a tradition that a literal 15-foot boulder followed the, the Israelites around the desert, and they would, I guess, go to it and take their, their cup and fill up. No, that, that's not the case. What he's saying here is that God provided supernaturally for them. How many of you agree this was a blessed group of people? Man, tremendously blessed. But boy, I want to tell you, they choked big time. Verse 5 and 6, nevertheless. How many of you men are smart enough to know if you go home today and your wife pays you five compliments and then she says, nevertheless. How many of you know you're in trouble? That, there's no way it's going to be good, is it, young people? You did so good in school. We're so happy the way you've done in sports. But nevertheless, you were in trouble at that point. Okay, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And folks, you're talking about a biblical, uh, he's not, he's not, uh, he's really being nice here. Everybody under the age 20 died in the desert. When he says most of them, a whole, 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 whole bunch of them died in the desert. Okay, and then in verse 6, now these things occurred as an example. Now, it's interesting. That word example literally means a pattern or it can mean a scar or it's like a hammer imprint on something. If you were, if you were fixing to go, uh, you and one of your friends were mad at somebody when you were 10 years old, let's say. And, and so your friend's going to go fight them first and he comes back with a big black eye and he's crying. Is that a pattern for you? that maybe you shouldn't go, tell him to go back and you'll pray for him as he goes to get another black eye. He's saying that God, God is using the history of the Jewish people as a pattern, literally we could say as a black eye, to keep us from setting our hearts on the evil things as they did. God was telling the people in Corinth, and listen, he's telling the people in America today, and he's telling you and me personally in this room today, I'm going to show you some examples in 1 Corinthians 10. Please, I think this is what God's saying, please get this. Hear what it is saying. It's the key to the health of a country. And to make it more personal, it's the key to your life, to whether God is going to go splat on your head or whether he's going to bless you and you're going to have his favor. Three things he identifies here. It's very problematic in Corinth. In Israel, I want to say in Ruston too, here's the first, idolatry. Idolatry. Now, this is probably not something you go home at night and you confess, God, I've been guilty of idolatry. Because we don't understand it. It's a, it's a fancy biblical word, but it really has a simple meaning. In verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Now, I'm going to tell you throughout the sermon where these are found in the Old Testament. You can look them up later when you get home. This comes from Exodus 32. Moses had gone up to get the Ten Commandments the first time. How many of you remember this story? 
And he was gone for an extended period. And the people, uh, the people weren't just singing hymns and choruses and having uh, uh, prayer times. They got impatient. In fact, they got frustrated and mad. And so they got all their gold together, their earrings and their bracelets and stuff, and they made a calf of gold, and they started worshiping the stinking calf. Is that not incredible? And that's after they had seen the Shekinah glory of God. That's after they'd gone through the Red Sea. That's after God had been feeding them and providing water for them. And now he's saying to these people in Corinth, you're guilty of the same thing, and you need to stop an act that's in progress of being an idolater. What is idolater? Let me define an idolater. It is, it's, it's worshiping an idol. It's putting yourself as a servant to an idol. Now, let me define an idol. An idol is an object of extreme devotion. What is an idol in your life or my life? It's something that we have an extreme devotion or attachment to. And so, uh, idolatry is a strong attachment or devotion to someone or something. Idolatry is a strong attachment or devotion to someone or something. Israel... God said, I want your worship, your devotion, your heart sold out to me. And they started making calves out of gold. They would worship trees. They got into all kinds of goofy things, and they worshiped them. And God said, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But be ready. Splat. Because I'm going to get you, and I'm going to get you very thoroughly and very firmly. Now, folks, here's here's the bottom line. I doubt any of you are going to go home this afternoon and bow down to a golden calf. Maybe a golden arch right up the street, but not a golden calf. Here's what idolatry is. It's being attached or devoted to things over God. It's anything you put over Jesus Christ. What is it in this room this morning? Maybe sex. We don't worship golden calves. We certainly worship gold. It's power. Sports. It's money. It's in other people. You know, some, some, some of us in this room, the thing that we worship, and we wouldn't say we worship, but that's going to determine what we do more than anything else is some other person. Our husband or wife, our boyfriend or girlfriend, it's not going to matter what God's opinion is. If that person tells us we need to do it, we're going to do it. Some of us worship at the idol of the mirror. I'm not talking about you worship the glass. I'm talking about you worship what you see. Your God is you. The one who's going to call the shots that you're most devoted to more than anything else is you. And let me tell you how this ruins people and ruins countries. First, it's an affront to God. The creator of the universe, the God who made everything, the the God who sent his son Jesus to come and die a horrible death for our sins, not for for his sins, our sins, who walked out of that tomb, who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. When we put anything above him, we're spitting in his face. Here's the second thing. Your idol ultimately cannot help you. I've been in ICU units a thousand times probably in the last 30 years. 
I've never had one person ICU unit look at me and say, bring me my golf club. Laugh, because that's meant to be funny. But I haven't. I love football. I mean, I love football. I've never seen someone near death saying, bring me my pigskin. I've, I've, never, I've never seen someone crushed by the weight of the problems of the world, and they're saying, man, if I just had a little more money, everything would be great. You see, and it's a front to God because God knows idols can't help you. One of the things God said in the Old Testament to him over and over and over, okay, you want to worship that calf? Go ahead. Cry out to that calf for help when you're in trouble. Doesn't help you any. What's your idol this morning? See, eventually God punishes people and he punishes countries that begin to worship things above him. You know, we say, and I say we, me, you, people a lot of times in the American church, that Jesus is our Lord. That's baloney a whole lot of times. Lord means master, ruler. Jesus isn't our Lord. And when we get into that cycle of Him not being number one, eventually... We're going to pay for that. Part of it, you just, what you sow, you reap. But also, God punishes that. We live in a culture today in the Bible Belt where coming to church is just purely optional. And if church is optional, I guarantee you, reading your Bible and praying at home on your own has got to be very, very optional. I am, I am for exercise. Believe it or not, I exercise a lot. I just like to eat. I have a dilemma. I really do. I like to exercise, but I like the fork. <laughs> and as Will Sanders said, you can't outrun your fork. But you know, there's people who will spend hours exercising, which is great, but may not give an hour to come to church or, or an hour a week to, to pray or read your Bible. The Bible says physical exercise is of some value, but it's temporary. What is your idol this morning? One of the things that ruined Israel, that was running Corinth, that's running America, is that Jesus Christ is not Lord anymore. Now, hey, you and I can't change Congress on our own, can we? Because if we could, there'd be some changes. Amen? But you can change you, and I can change me. And one of the things that you and I need to do is we need to make a decision that we're going to serve God first and foremost, okay? Best decision we can make for ourselves. Here's the second thing that was eaten away the, the Israelites 4,000 years ago, that was eaten away the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, and you're going to agree with me, is killing us today, and that's sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Verse 8 we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. How many of you think that that's powerful? Parents, read that to your young people before they go out on Friday night. That happened in Numbers 25. The Jewish people began to worship one of the false gods of Canaan, the Baal of Peor. The men began to have sex with the Moabite women. And God said, enough is enough is enough. And bam, he dropped the hammer on them. 
What does sexual immorality mean in this verse? It's real, real important. What does it mean? It's a, it's a concept here that's, that's broad. It, it, it means adultery. Adultery is a married person having sex with someone that's not their spouse. Okay? It means fornication. Fornication is two people, whether they're 14 years old or whether they're 50 years old, that aren't married involved sexually. Sexual immorality would involve pornography. It would involve incest. It would involve homosexuality. And God is saying here about these things that they're wrong. Now, folks, go back with me 4,000 years ago, and, and God is leading 3,000 or 3 million, 2 or 3 million Jewish people out in the desert, and they're going to be on a camping trip for 40 years. You've got to have pretty tight sex rules. Amen? You need pretty tight sex rules today. And let me remind you, folks, God is pro-sex. He invented it. It just has a narrow context between a man and a wife in marriage. I did not hear that growing up. I never heard that it was good. All I heard was bad. But it is great in that narrow context. Corinth, 2,000 years ago, who was getting this letter, they were very immoral. And God said, man, look back at Israel. It's going to bite you. Think about us today. June the 22nd of this year, a couple of Fridays ago, for the first time in the history of our country at the White House, they had a gay pride reception in the White House. I have heard that this fall that the main networks are going to really begin to push homosexuality. Going to be married men to men, women to women on TV as they're really trying to push and promote that agenda. Now, folks, I want you to hear me on two things on this. First of all, homosexuality is wrong. It's sin. Okay? That's not homophobic saying that. Phobic means fear of. Okay? I hate spinach, but I'm not a spinachophobic. And I can say something's a sin without being afraid of it or hating that person. We've got to be willing to say, and you've got to hear me to say this, say homosexuality is sin. We've got to love people who are struggling with it. See, a lot of Christians, and we're painted this way by the press a lot of times, is that we hate the sin and we hate the sinner. That can't be the case. This is the wrong church for you if you're looking for us to hate people who do bad. Because we'd have to hate you too. But it's sinful, it's wrong. But listen, so is adultery. You know, there are, there are men in Ruston and there are men all over America who, who would balk and would condemn homosexuality and they're cheating on their wives even as they sit in church and shake their head. Yeah, adultery's wrong. Fornication's wrong, young people. You say, well, I'm 15, and man, that homosexuality, that stuff, that disgusts me, but you're doing things with your girlfriend that's absolutely immoral? In America, one out of six women, stats say, has a pornography problem. One out of six women. If that's true, then that probably means one out of three men have a pornography problem. I would have never dreamed it was that high with women, but if it's that high with women, it's, it's definitely much higher with men. A, a recent poll, 
25% of Christians, people who, now this is important, who said they were Christians said there's nothing wrong with looking at pornography. And in the same poll, almost 50% of homes where people said they were Christians, now they weren't, they weren't saying it was good, but they were saying, I believe in my home. Somebody, kids, mom, dad, somebody is struggling with pornography. 50% of Christian homes. Listen, don't, don't judge somebody because they're having an affair and you're going home and looking at naked women all afternoon when your wife's not there. That's sin. In fact, sex has almost become an idol in our culture, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Remember this. Sex is a wonderful thing, created and invented by God, but it has a narrow context, and that's a man and a woman in marriage. What was going to cause tremendous problems for these people in Corinth and what's causing problems today in our world, what ruins marriages, what ruins lives, what ruins young people who someday are going to have a struggle in their marriages and their sex lives is getting it out of whack now when they're young. Sexual immorality, man, let's do it God's way. That's the right way. And here's the third word, and that's grumbling. Now, I laugh, not because I think grumbling's funny. I laugh because some of you have thought you were, you were skating this morning. You thought you were going to get away unscathed, didn't you? People say, well, I'm pretty moral. I don't condone sexual immorality, that's great. I don't worship an idol, that's wonderful. I just like to criticize, condemn, and destroy other people. You're going to see that the Lord God Almighty takes a pretty stiff look at that. Verse 9, we should not test the Lord. You know, there's only one place in the Bible God says, test me, and that's with your giving. Did you know that? God says, tithe. Give your money to me. Test me. I can give back more than you can give. That's the only place. Here they were testing him in the wrong way. We should not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I want to read you this story. This is from Numbers 21, verse 4 through 6. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They couldn't get their cell phones to work. There was no tower in the desert. They were frustrated. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. We detest this miserable food. And God said, I understand. Get it off your chest. Moses is a jerk half the time, and I failed you too. No, that's not what God said. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. That's our memory verse for July. (laughs) Do you see any pun here? People were poisoning others with their mouth, and God sent something that has a poisoned mouth to kill them. How many of you believe that God is seriously against grumbling after reading that passage? I I absolutely don't want this to happen, but if 5,000 people in Ruston drop dead tomorrow for sexual immorality and another 5,000 for grumbling, it'd straighten things out, wouldn't it? At least for a while. I guarantee you. In verse 10, And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. This is probably in two places. Numbers 14, Moses had sent out 12 spies 
Two came back and said, we can take the land. Ten said, we can't. The people followed the ten negative ones. A bunch of them started dying. Number 16, a guy named Dathan rose up against Moses. A bunch of them died after that happened. What's grumbling? It's the murmuring complainer. It's like the cooing of a dove. It's the, it's the people that, come here, we just need, I need to tell you something. Can you believe can you, can you believe Michael's glasses, what they look like today? And that pastor, he shouldn't have worn a flag shirt today. I look like a flag in the early service. But he wore a black shirt. And Wayne, there's just something wrong with Wayne. And then this fall, it'll be, you know those coaches? They're just so dumb. And those teachers... Little juniors failed every class, and it's just because those teachers are so stupid. And I go to the doctor, and they don't know anything. That's what grumbling is. You say, well, man, I am against sexual immorality. That's good. You should be. But to blow this off, is to blow off the Word of God. And I want to tell you, in the churches today in America, the main problem is not homosexuals taking over the churches. It's not worshiping a golden calf. It's grumbling. It's strife-causing. That's what kills and strangles more churches than anything else, probably. And, And I'm going to say this. I say this with a little bit of fear and trembling, but Israel was a bunch of big babies. All that God had done for them, and they whined and whined and whined. And God got sick of it. And, and you know, in, in our country today, let me tell you, part of our problem, I believe, is we have confused the Constitution with the Bible. Constitution is a great document. It is not the inspired Word of God. And some of us are whiners and complainers, and we, I believe we go back to the, the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. You know what that says? It was, it was ratified and, and made law in December 15, 1791, a few years ago. But the, but the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, a freedom of religion, which is great, or abridging the freedom of the speech or freedom of the press. I, I really think, I think even Christians, we've bought into, well, I have the right to complain. Freedom of speech, freedom of speech. I have the right to talk against that person. I have a right to gripe and complain. I have a right to criticize. Not if you're a God-following Christian. You definitely have a right to call somebody up and say, can we talk? Let's sit down. Let's visit. I don't understand. I don't agree. Let's work through this. Let's find out what the problem is. Absolutely. But to sit around and complain and criticize and shoot people, that may be a U.S. freedom, but that's not a God-given freedom. It's wrong. Part of, part of our grumbling and complaining is we just don't appreciate what God's given us. That's part of the deal. And do you realize how it infects everybody else? See, God, God lays these three things out, not because he's mean, not because he said, well, you know, I just don't think they should commit sexual immorality. There's reasons. Why does he say not to grumble? There's reasons. How many of you know Max Lucado, the preacher and the writer? 
Max Licato was doing a uh, half of an Ironman triathlon. You know what that is? You swim a mile, uh, mile 1.2 miles. You ride your bike 56 miles. And then you get off your bike and you jog 13 miles. I mean, to me, nothing. That'd be easy. But Licato, I guess it was his very first one. So he's got to be in his 50s. So he's, he's doing it. He swam. He's rid, you know, ridden his bike. Now he's starting to jog. 13 miles would be terrible any day, especially after 50-something miles on a bike. So he's, he's plotting along, and he comes beside a man who's about his age. And Locato asks the guy how he's doing. Oh, this is terrible. This is the dumbest decision I ever made. This is the stupidest race. Why did I get involved with this? I can't believe this. I hate this. Locato said, as quick as I could, I kicked it in gear, and I got past him. Because he said, one, I was going to start believing what he was saying, and it was going to pull me down with him. Lakato said, I caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother. <laughs> Did you catch that? I caught up with her. And he said, she, she was like, hey, son, you're doing great. Just It's one step after another. Stay hydrated. You're going to do it. It's hot, but it's not raining. You can do it. You can do it. He said, I stayed with her as long as I could, and then she left me in my tracks. <laughs> but he said, I had to get next to that positive person to push me forward. I met with someone the other day. We were talking. It was a, it was a, 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 a supper. And they said, I told them, I said, I need to get you to preach sometime. And they wouldn't agree to do that. But here's, here's what they said. They said, until Christians start standing up and telling the grumbler, stop it. You don't need to talk about those people. You don't need to criticize. You don't need to do that. Until we start being willing to do it, it's going to continue. So what? They don't like you anymore. They don't want to be your friend. You know what? You need to get new friends anyway. If you're hanging around someone who's like that, when God throws the lightning bolt at them, it may hit you too. I know God's a good aim, but he may just take both of you out just to do it. Stop it. I'm a, I, the, the guy who said these things I'm fixing to read to you, I, I don't know anything about him. He's a comedian. I've heard he's pretty vulgar. So I'm not endorsing him at all, but I want to read to you some things that he said in part of his routine that's absolutely phenomenal. He began it, he said, everything in our world today is amazing, but nobody's happy. Did you get that? Everything's amazing, but nobody's happy. In my lifetime, he's probably about my age, he said, the changes in the world have been incredible. When I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. Any of y'all know what a rotary phone was? It's like a dinosaur. You had to stand by the phone, because, I mean, it's tied to the wall. Paul Nelson had to climb a telephone pole to get to his, but in my house, it was right here. And you had to dial. So if a person had a bunch of zeros in their phone number, it took all day long. Remember that? And he said, if you called and they didn't answer, it just rings and rings. There was no voicemail. There was no answering machine. There was no caller ID. Oh, there was no caller ID. You remember how terrible that was? Hello? Oh, no. I mean, you were stuck, weren't you? (laughs) It was bad. You wanted money. You had to go to the bank and you had to write a check. And the bank's open for about three hours. You stand in line, you write a check. You run out of money. Guess what? You just don't buy anything else. You're out of money. He said, we live in an amazing, amazing world, but it's wasted on a generation of spoiled people like us. Now we have a phone, and if it doesn't respond within two seconds, we're mad. You know, it's got to go to space and back, the speed of light, but if it takes four seconds, we're mad. 
And this guy said, I fly all the time. And he said, I get so amazed when I talk to people about flights. They'll come in and go, oh, I've had the worst day of my life. I got to the airport, and they made us wait 20 minutes before we boarded. And then I got on the plane, and then we had to sit on the runway for 30 minutes. And the comedian said, you know, and you get in the air, you're 30,000 feet above the air in a chair. You ought to be screaming and shouting, saying, my goodness, we're flying, we're flying, we're flying. And then people get home, and they go, it was terrible. The flight was delayed. It took so long. He said, I look at him and said, you left New York City this morning, and you got to Los Angeles in six hours. He said, 100 years ago, that took 40 weeks, and many of you died on the way. And he just struck a chord. Grumbling comes from a rotten heart. We all have a tendency to do it. But a person who always finds a negative, who's always grumbling, who's always critical, has got a heart problem. And here's what God says to us today. He says, look, man, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Get rid of this junk. It will sink our country. But before it will do that, it will sink your life. The only way countries change is is when people change. And people change one individual at a time. I want to challenge you this morning, today. Will you say to God, God, let me get rid of the idols. God, let me get rid of the... The, the sexual junk in my life that's wrong. God, help me get rid of the grumbling nature that's within me. I want to ask you to bow your heads. If you're a Christian this morning, I challenge you, I challenge you today to say to God, God, I, I want to be who you want me to be. God, I want to get rid of the junk in my life. And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, I want to ask you right where you're seated, will you pray with me? And just say, Jesus, I want to repent of my sins. God, I I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're the Son of God who died for me Come into my heart, Jesus. Today I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand. Michael's going to lead us as we sing. But man, the most important thing is I want to challenge you to respond to God. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. Will you step out this morning and come Get things right with God. Maybe you'd like to join the church. One way you can do that this morning is by stepping out in a moment. And come and we'll have ministers down here. We'll help you do that. Come and join us today. Christian, maybe God has has touched your heart. And there's some things that need to be dealt with and got right in your life. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray for yourself or pray for our country or pray with a minister. Maybe it's where you're standing you need to do business with God. But God left these things as an imprint to show us, to get us to correct our ways. Let's stand, and as God leads you, let Him help you correct what needs to be corrected.